0: I think everybody's probably familiar with this classic game called hide-and-seek. Right? Anybody familiar with that? The idea is that you have one person hide, or I mean, one person seeking while everybody else is hiding, and you can use any place to do it. This church, by the way, is a great place to play that game. There's lots of nooks and crannies and all these certain rooms that you can play. The only problem is, uh, at youth group, when the, the when it's dark, you have these lights that are shining, and so this the sanctuary is pretty much off-limits we also make the baptistry off limits, though, so as my dad, when he was a youth pastor, they had a baptistry at their, house, at their church, and when the kids would hide in there, he'd go and turn on the water. So they learned very quickly that's not a place to go uh, if you're going to play hide-and-seek at church, at least not with my dad. But it's a game that my kids like to play, and I, I think of back home, uh, the house that we had. I would play with uh, my son and my two sons and another daughter who called her a daughter. She wasn't a daughter. She was uh, a girl we watched every day after school. We'd all get together and play hide-and-seek. And it was one of my favorite things to do was to help my kids out in ways that they could not help themselves. For example, I would stick a kid in the, the hamper, i cover him with clothes, and I'd shut the doors. Now, what kid can do that? right? You can't do that kind of thing. Or uh, My all-time favorite was to take Caleb and put him up on the fridge because the kids, they got this eye level like here. They're not thinking the kid's going to be up here. As we played lots and lots, and it was a lot of fun. But the idea was that you had somebody counting, And then you're supposed to hide, do the best that you could. But the final thing that came at the end of the countdown, three, two, one, was ready or not, here I come. Okay? And that was was your cue that you had nothing you could do about your hiding spot. You better just make the best of it because somebody was going to come try to find you. You know, Jesus is going to come back someday, but he's not going to come play hide and seek. He's coming. He says, ready or not, I'm going to come. The countdown has started. And just like we looked at a couple weeks ago, thank you. That's probably helping me out. That uh, remember when you took that jump? Once once you fly out of the cannon, once you jump off to go bungee jumping, once you jump out of that airplane, it's too late to do anything about it. Okay. And so the important thing is making up our mind now how we are going to live our lives if we're going to trust Jesus as our Savior. Because once you die, once you take that leap. Once Jesus comes back, it is too late to do anything at all about it. And Jesus is going to be talking to the Pharisees and telling them, hey, ready or not, the kingdom of God is here now. And then he's going to talk to his disciples and say, guess what, guys, ready or not, the kingdom of God is going to come. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, we're going to be uh, looking at verses 22 to, or 20 to 37. And I need to pray again and ask God to slow me down. God, again, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the fact that you've given me the words to say, and I'm asking that they come out clearly, that it makes sense. God, I know you're coming back, and I just want to be ready, and I want everybody in here to be ready as well. I just pray that this blesses you and comes across the right way that you want it to. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Jesus is, first of all, talking to the Pharisees, and we're going to look and say what the kingdom of God is not before we see what the kingdom of God is. So uh, verse chapter 17, verses 20 to 22. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is not a physical place on here on earth right now. The Pharisees they're asking Jesus, hey, you're you're supposedly the Messiah. Uh, you're going to be this king that's ruling. When are you going to get started? When are you going to make your kingdom come? When are you going to build your kingdom? When are you going to take over the government and so that the Israelite or the Jewish people can be ruling as as we are expecting to take place? But Jesus says, no, this is not a physical kingdom. Now, the Pharisees are not the only people who have ever thought that Jesus was coming to earth the first time to reign as king. If you think about the Christmas story, you have the wise men who are going to visit King Herod on their way, following the star to find baby Jesus. Well, Herod, he says, hey guys, if you find this baby, I'd like to go worship him. Well, you know what he wants to do is he wants to, to get rid, eliminate his competition. And you find out that in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, that he's been deceived he, he doesn't he realizes that the wise men went a different direction. They didn't come back and tell him. So he says, I'm going to kill or order that all the baby boys, two years and under, are put to death. Because he's expecting Jesus is gonna come and he's going to rule someday as King of Jerusalem. He doesn't want that to happen. But he's not the only guy who's ever thought this. In John chapter six, Jesus has fed the five thousand people. And Jesus knows uh, it even says the words that he knows that they're going to come and try to make him king by force. What could be better? Jesus is, is there. He's ruling and reigning. He's providing with every everything that they need, all the food that they need, every provision that they need. And they say, we're going to to force Jesus to be king. And this is what we're expecting, the here and the now, for him to rule and reign. But that's not how it's supposed to be quite yet. One more example, Palm Sunday. When Jesus is traveling into Jerusalem, people are, are taking off their coats for the donkey to walk on and, and for its rider to walk on, and they're taking the palm branches and putting them on the ground because they are expecting Jesus to be king in Jerusalem on this earthly uh, throne right now, to overthrow the Roman government, to free the, the Jewish people, and so they can rule and reign as the nation they've always wanted to be. But the kingdom of God is not here now. Not yet, but ready or not, the kingdom of God is here. Jesus says, this has not come to you with careful observation. Now, if I was to ask you, uh, just as you're driving into Baker, what is being built on the south side? Runnings, and that started back somewhere in the summertime. the, The earliest I can think of is in July. But as you drive by each day, you start to realize that this place is starting to become more and more like a structure, and then it starts to get the the walls, and it starts to get the sign, and it gets the, the driveway, and I know Jennifer was even out there helping to build this thing, right? because And you could watch this thing become built by built, brick by brick, building until finally you say, there's a running. And I've heard it's supposed to open in uh, February March, and so hopefully you can be the first one in there. I don't know. But it's something that you could visually see being built, but the kingdom of God is not that way. Jesus It didn't fall out of the sky. It's not something that you're going to be able to to be to watch being built, which would be, really be nice. Because how many people do you think if they knew the kingdom of God was coming and they could see that, I think a lot of people would say, Okay, I see this is taking place. I'm going to get ready. Right? They would, if they knew the kingdom of God is getting built brick by brick. At some point they'd say, Okay, I'm going to join this side because I see it coming. But he says that's not how it's going to work. You're not going to see this being built brick by brick. It is it is here first of all among you. Um uh, It's a, it's, because it's not a a physical kingdom, it is a spiritual kingdom. If you look at John chapter 18, verses 34 to 38. Uh, When Jesus is talking to Pilate, I'll start with verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did the others talk to you about me? Verse 35, he says, am I a Jew? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Right now, his kingdom is not on earth. If it was, he would have had people who were fighting, risking life and limb to rescue the king. I mean, how many people have a king that's just going to let them be captured and do nothing about it? You know, there's, there's always going to be somebody who's on the king's side and somebody who's going to do that. But he says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not this physical structure that you're looking for. It's not here now. It is a spiritual kingdom. And it's made up of followers of Jesus who are hearing what Jesus is saying. They put their faith in him, and now they're trying to live for him. You know, you have a physical kingdom, and you have the subjects of the kingdom doing what the king asked them to do. The spiritual kingdom works the same way. But it's not, it's made of, of followers of Jesus, not everybody uh, who are trying to do what he wants them, what Jesus has asked them to do. And he's saying, don't look for the physical guys. Pharisees, you're looking in the wrong place. This is not correct. It's among you. Uh, verse verse 21, it says, There, there it is. Nor will the people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now we're saying it's within you. He's not saying it's within your heart because these Pharisees don't want anything to do with Jesus. They want a a different Messiah. They want a different king. So he's not saying it's within your heart, but he's saying it's among you. It's in your presence. You guys can join this kingdom. You can't see it, but you can join this. And that's what he wants of these people. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, he says the kingdom of, of God is here. If I drive out demons, that's the proof that this kingdom is actually here. Lives are being changed. People are getting saved. There's a difference that's being made, and I want you guys to be a part of it. But these guys don't understand what that kingdom is. In John chapter 3, you find out how do they become part of this kingdom. There's a man by the name of Nicodemus who's talking to Jesus about about this very thing. And Jesus replied, or declared I tell you the truth no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again no one can become a part of the kingdom of God no one can enter it the kingdom of God unless they are born again so these Pharisees who are thinking I'm going to stay exactly like I am and I'm going to enter the kingdom of God they can't do it you have to be born again when we sin we die spiritually we need to be like a rebirth we need to have eternal life given to us uh, because of our sin has caused us to die spiritually And so when we're born again, we become part of the kingdom of God. You might say, okay, I don't really see that. I don't really understand it. That's okay. Jesus goes on to say, the wind is there. You don't know where it comes from, but you can see the effects of the wind. And you will see the difference in people's lives if they are willing to put their faith in him. They are born again, and there's going to be a difference that's made. So what does that mean for us? The kingdom of God is here now. Well, the first thing is to recognize that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. I need to decide today if I'm going to follow the Lord with my whole life or if I'm not going to. Joshua 24:15 says choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. And if you say yes, I have, I'm part of the kingdom of God, Josh, because I have put my faith in Jesus, I have been spiritually reborn, then that's great because that's the first thing we need to do. But the second thing we should be doing is we should be living for our king, right? If, if you have a king here on earth, or you have a boss, and you have somebody who's telling you what to do, how many people obey that boss or that king, right? We have a president. In general, we follow what the, the president asks us to do. How much more should we be following what our king, what our savior has asked us to do? We need to live for him now, even if it contradicts what the world is going to tell us to do. I was reading in Exodus about the, the, mid, the Hebrew midwives when they were delivering, they're helping these Israelite women deliver their babies. And the king, the king said, hey, once if it's a boy, you need to kill that little boy. But if it's a girl, you can let her live. And these women said, no, I'm not going to do that. And they said, okay. But when the time came, they chose what God wanted them to do over what uh, Pharaoh wanted them to do. And God blessed them because they did what the right thing was. And that... That could have cost them their life. That could have cost them their job. It could have cost them all sorts of things. It could have cost them their, uh, their reputations. But they said, you know what? When it comes down between choosing what God wants and what this Pharaoh wants, who can take my life, I'm going to choose what God wants. And we should do the same thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's a very familiar verse. We've looked at it a few times. I know it's, it's been popular, I think, at the, the adult Bible study on Wednesday night. But it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is a sacrifice. It is going to be hard to live for the Lord, but he is our king. And so we need to choose what he's asked us to do over what the world is trying to get us to do. So, the kingdom of God is here now. We need to put our faith in him, Jesus for salvation, and we need to make sure that we are living for him in the here and now because it's here. But the kingdom of God is also going to come. And it's going to be a literal rule reign of Christ on the earth. Let's see verse 22 to 25. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is, you know, do not go out running after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer and many, thi- suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus is going to come and rule and reign. But the first thing that's going to take place is that these, these disciples are going to long to see uh, the Son of Man. And why is that? Because in John 14 he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. I Meaning Jesus is going to leave. And they're going to spend years of their life wishing Jesus was there, wishing they could have this fellowship that they had with him for the past three years uh, doing ministry. They're going to say, I wish I could have that back. I wish I could have this relationship one-on-one, face-to-face with Jesus, which I think would be really great to have. It would be nice to have that, especially if you already got to experience that. You're going to want that again. But he says you're going too long to see that. The second thing, it says people are going to try to convince you that Jesus is already here. It says if they say he's over there, don't go over there. If he says if he comes here, don't go over here looking for Jesus because when it happens, it's going to be obvious. When lightning strikes in the sky, you don't just see one little spot. You see it for miles and miles, and it's going to be the same way. When the Son of Man comes down out of the sky, it's going to be obvious and clear to the nations. Meaning, everybody. It's going to be, somehow, God's going to make it obvious to the whole world that he has come back. And it says in verse 25, it says, But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You know, uh, anybody think about Easter? You know, Jesus is going up at this point. Jesus has not yet gone to the cross. He has not yet... Been suffered. He hasn't yet suffered. He hasn't been betrayed. He hasn't been beaten. He hasn't been put upon the cross and condemned to death. At that point, but in order for for him to come back a second time, that has to take place. Well, it's already happened. So that's one more re- one more way we know that Jesus is his coming is going to be quicker or it's going to be closer and closer. So when is Jesus going to come back? You know, that's the million dollar question. I'd love to tell you when Jesus is going to come back. I have a chart here. But obviously. Thank you. Uh, you know, sometimes you need to be better prepared. Uh, no, no, no. Go back. Okay, well. Okay, so you have three different choices about when he could be coming back. It's, you probably have seen this before. It's the tribu- the views of the tribulation you have the pre-trib, which means Jesus is going to come back before the tribulation starts. Anybody like that idea? Right? That's what I like, and that happens to be what I I agree with, what I believe, but not everybody does. There's the mid-tribulation, which means halfway through the tribulation, because halfway through is considered the great tribulation starts, and there's people who believe at that point will be yanked out of of, uh, off this earth, but then there's also people like my dad who think that after the tribulation, then we're going to be raptured, and then we're going to come back down with him for the second coming to reign through the millennium. Which of those is right? Okay, you know what? Kathy went like this. You know, there's a fourth option that I I agreed with for a very, very long time. Anybody heard of pan-trib? Okay, that means it's all going to pan out, right? It doesn't matter because Jesus is coming back Pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, but what's the point? Is that we need to be ready now because Jesus is going to be coming, ready or not. Okay, next slide, Noah. Okay, so we're going to be looking here about the second coming of Christ, and there's a couple different views of when, uh, how that's going to work out. Because if if you go the the post-trib or the pre-trib, the millennium is going to take place after Jesus comes back, and Jesus is going to have a physical rule and reign on this earth for a literal thousand years, okay? So uh, I'm I'm going with the pre-trib, and that's what's going to happen. But there's also this group called the post-millennium, and that says that Jesus is going to come back for the last thousand years of this earth, Uh, meaning we're going through the tribulation right now, and uh, Jesus is actually ruling and reigning in our hearts now because uh, the kingdom of God is here now, because we know that the kingdom of God is here Now, so they believe that that's how that's going to take place. But it's not a literal thousand years. But then that's when he's going to come. But there's also the all-millennial, which says right now uh, we're going through the tribulation. And Jesus is going to come back at the end. It doesn't say it's a literal thousand years. But it's something that uh, is being fulfilled now in the church age. And you have the church here. And you have people who are trying to live for the Lord. But that Jesus is going to come back at the end. So I'm going to assume here that the first or the, tri- the pre-tribulational, premillennial uh, option is right, or the post-tribulational premillennial option is right. Okay, so at meaning Jesus is going to come down and reign at the end of the tribulation for a thousand literal years. Now, you know, the the world's getting really crazy about trying to save the earth, which I agree, it's important to try to save the earth and to go green and that kind of thing. But, you know, uh, I was talking with my brother this past week and he says, you know, the earth is at least a thousand years away from being destroyed because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to rule on this earth for a thousand years. And you could almost add seven years to it because the tribulation has not started yet. So The earth is going to last at least a thousand and seven years from today. Okay, so you don't have to worry about the earth getting destroyed yet because it's going to take at least that time. But Jesus is going to come back, and it's going to be a literal time uh, that he comes back. In chapter Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we kind of get a hint of where he's coming back at, like kind of the physical location. I learned this this week. I did not know that we knew where Jesus was I know where he's leaving from, but we didn't know where he's coming back from, and we'll look at both of these and put them together. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 it says, After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, meaning the disciples. He says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Verse 12 says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. Okay, so Mount of Olives. If you go to Zechariah, Zechariah chapter uh, 14, you find out this is the location. It says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. So Jesus left from the Mount of Olives. Where is he coming back from? Or back to? To the Mount of Olives. So you have the location that he's going to be physically coming down to this earth to where he's going to rule and reign in Jerusalem. But he's going to come down from the Mount of Olives. When is this going to take place? Well, according to the the post-tribulation premillennial, or the pre-tribulation premillennial, which I realize are just big words, he's going to reign after the end of the tribulation. That's when he's going to come back to reign. And it's going to be a public event. It's going to be obvious to everywhere. If you look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 verses 29 to 30. If you look at 24, it talks about the tribulation. And it even says in verses 15 through 19 about the middle of the tribulation. You're going to have the abomination that causes desolation, which happens in the middle. If you go to Daniel, you can read about it as well. Then verse 21, it talks about the great tribulation, which is the second half of the tribulation. And then it says in verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, so meaning after the tribulation has happened and the 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 Antichrist comes and the the second half of the tribulation, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. It says, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Everybody is going to see the coming of Jesus. Everybody who is there, that is. Because it, is, it hasn't taken place yet, all the nations are going to see physically that Jesus is there, the Mount of Olives. And they're all going to know that he is there. And during this thousand year reign on Christ, you, you probably have heard kind of what it's going to be like. But I just want you to know it's going to be uh, perfect. Okay, It's going to be what you could always wish for. Uh, fr- from what this world is, from what God wanted it to be in the Garden of Eden, he made it perfect. And then Adam decided to sin. Right? And then it was no longer perfect anymore. It's going to be very similar to that. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6. It says, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. That hasn't happened before, I don't think. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the the ox. I don't think I've ever seen a lion eat straw. I don't care how hungry they are, they're not going to do it. Verse 8 says, the infant will play near the hole of the crowbar, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. You'd be able to go out and let your kids run around the whole creation without worrying about anything because that's what it's going to be like when Jesus is here, reigning on the earth for his thousand years. It's going to be perfect. And who is going to be here? You and I, unless I'm somehow wrong, are not going to be here during that time. The disciples were not going to be there, and we're not going to be there either because when Jesus comes back and the pre-tribulational rapture is correct, all the Christians are going to be taken out of here, right? And people are going to go through the tribulation. And if those people who survive, you're going to have those who trust Jesus and those who do not. And you're going to have the separation of the sheep and the goats. The sheep represents those who have, who are trusting Jesus. They're going to be going through the millennium. All those who are the goats are going to be set aside for punishment. And so the only people that are going to be there are going to be Jesus who's ruling as the king and those who have put their faith in Jesus. And that's going to make for a pretty perfect environment. There they're going to be the people who have kids, and have kids, and have generation after generation. And after a thousand years, there's going to be a lot of people there. And it's sad to say that even with Jesus ruling on the earth, even though they had such a perfect start, there are still going to be people who choose, no, I don't want this. They're going to be deceived, and they're going to make war against Jerusalem later on down the road at the end of the thousand years. Because during that thousand years, Satan is going to be uh, locked up. He's not going to be able to get out and and cause havoc in the world during that thousand years. But even after that, when he's let loose, people are going to join his side and try to fight against the king. And it's a very sad day uh, of what's coming. Now, what will we be doing during that point, during that thousand years? Well, there's a couple of options. Uh, I I think I know. uh, I won't take it to the bank. But... Either, either we'll be up in heaven with the marriage supper of the Lamb, or we will come down with God's army to, to, to also be on this earth to rent Christ for a thousand years. Either way, it's a good situation. But either way, you need to decide now what you're going to do. And when he comes, Jesus is going to fulfill prophecy about ruling as king. He's going to fulfill prophecy about the Israelites having all the promised land and having it for eternity. Uh, as part of what he's going to do. Like I said, we're not going to be around for this, uh, for when this takes place, unless we're down here ruling with Christ. But we're not going to have to go through all that tough time. You know, for these guys, you know what, and it doesn't even really, it doesn't matter uh, what's the right answer, which charge is right, what's the pre trip mid trip, post-trib, which I will give you a little uh Thought after we are my goal is to be done with Luke by Father's Day. Okay, I think I got to figure it out. We're going to have Jesus rise again on Easter Sunday as we go through Luke. After that, I'd like to go through our church's doctrinal statement and talk about the the different things. And one of them is eschatology, which has to do with uh, the end times thing. And I want to to make a better, give a clearer picture of what these are. But it doesn't even matter which of those is right, right? We all say I'll go with the trip; it's all going to pan out. But it's not even the point about whether what I said is exactly right or not. What is the point? It's you have to get ready now because ready or not, Jesus is coming back. You think about how many people have, have, have died this past week that didn't intend to die. How many people have entered eternity that we're not expecting to? Young, healthy kids and older people and people in accidents because it's coming at a time when they're not expecting it. Jesus is the rapture is going to come at a time when people aren't ready. That's why we got to make sure we're ready. The countdown has started. We don't hear 28, 27, 26. And then you know at the last three, two, one, you get ready. If you can't hear it, but it is coming. You know that it's going to take place. Now for these people that we're going to look at here about Noah and Lot and, and all these other people is it's too late, right? Whatever decision they made, it's too late. Because once you die, you stand before God and there's no second chances. There's no time you say, okay, I changed my mind on my way up or anything, right? You just, it is what it is. So it's too late. Uh, and here's, here's what it's going to be like up until that time when Jesus comes back. Verse 26, it says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given to you in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. So what's Noah doing? He's, he's on the earth for a very long time. He's starting to build this boat. He has this observable process, right? Like, it's not like it's you can watch this with observation. Noah is starting to build something small. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And people are wondering, what in the world is that? And he starts to see that this is a big boat. In Second Peter, you find out that uh, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He's trying to convince people, you need to get on this boat because there's going to be this flood. There's going to be this judgment. And eight people and all were saved. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. Out of all the people on the earth, there's only eight people who get on the boat. But this whole time, people could watch this this, this being, be, being built. I'm sure that they watched the animals walking up to the boat and getting on. They watched Noah taking all this extra feed and all this extra straw and all their belongings starting putting them on the boat. And everybody watching thought, what a kook. I can't believe this guy has built this big thing. There's no water. And so, why is why is he doing this? And when it when it uh, when the, the flood water started coming, it was just a normal day. I'm sure that people woke up in the morning, excited for breakfast, for for getting married that day, for eating, for drinking, for whatever they were going to do. And then the rain started coming, and they realized this is not just any normal rainfall. This is a big deal, and they're they're starting to pound on the boat, and it gets they can't all of a sudden they're swimming, they're trying to just float, and they and by by the time it's all done, the water is, I think, 20 feet above the highest mountain. And there's nothing that's going to survive. No animal, no person, and it is too late. They had the time to decide, but it was too late. Verses 26 to 29, you have the same kind of thing. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the... Let me go to verse 28. It was, it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building... But the day of Lot, but the day Lot left, Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one is on his house; she go on the roof, she go into his house with his goods inside, she go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where the, there the dead body is, there the vultures will gather. And you have this picture. You have uh, Lot and his his wife are trying to leave uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And then his wife turns around because she still is attached. She knows all the right things. She was with Abraham. And she they, she's seen all sorts of things that God has done but well, when it came down to choosing between the two, she says, I, I want that. Okay, all my possessions are there, all my families, or my friends are there, everything that I could ever want is there, and so her heart is dividing. And she, she knows the right thing to choose, but she's still refusing to choose the right thing. She turns into a pillar of salt. She made her choice. It was the wrong choice, and it was too late. Sodom and Gomorrah, the same thing that morning people woke up thinking it's a beautiful day the sun is shining uh... i got great plans for this day and before they know it the, the, the hail and the, the fire and the brimstone start falling from the sky and it's too late for them to do anything about it whoever tries to keep his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it if we choose this world we can but you're going to lose what you have and you're not going to get anything in the upcoming life but if you if you choose to reject this world Say, yes, I'm going to follow Christ. You're going to have a few years of discomfort, a few years of people not liking you, a few years of hardship and trials, but you get eternity of everything that's better. But you have to choose it for yourself. Ready or not, you're going to meet Jesus. Ready or not, uh, the kingdom of God is here. And ready or not, uh, the kingdom of God is going to come. And that day, people were marrying and they were being given in marriage. If you put it in today's world or today's terms, you'd probably say people were watching basketball or people were playing basketball and God, and the Son of Man came or people were ranching or people were getting married or people were sitting in churches when the Son of Man came. All normal good things to do. But uh, those who aren't ready, it's, it's going to be a sad day for them. But it's a choice that they've made. And once they've made it, it's too late. It's the jumping off the cliff and you can't do anything about it that decision that you made, ready or not, Jesus is going to come. So I challenge you to make sure that you are ready for when Jesus comes. That A, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior because then you'll have eternal life. But B, be ready because by the way that you live your life. Because the kingdom of God is is here. And we need to make sure that we're honoring Him in everything we say, think, and do. And I challenge you, as I have to challenge myself to do better each day, uh, to live for my King the way He's asked me to do it. Let's pray. Dear God, I do thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the kingdom of God being here now, that we can become a part of it. Not that you didn't just leave us to what we deserve, in hell and eternity, but you said I love you and I want you to have eternal life. And you, you died on the cross so that we can have that. God, I pray that each of us would understand very clearly that we need that and that you did that for us and put the two together and trust you your Savior. And God, I know that... We live in a difficult world. There's lots of things pulling at us and trying to drag us away from following you. And I pray that you'd help us to make sure that we live for you with every breath that we breathe, every step that we take, every thought that we did. Please help us live for you because you are our king. Help us to love you, to honor you, and to share that message with other people. Help us to live for you today and, and each day that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.